I would normally ask you to join me at Matthew. We're at the end of Matthew chapter 7, but not today, uh, a few weeks from now. Today, a somewhat thematic sermon, textual though. I'll read some texts from Galatians 6, verse 14 in, in particular, and then some texts from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 for our Scripture reading in just a moment. But let me set the the table under the title, the sermon today, Christmas and the Cross. The songs fit actually very well for this theme and sermon, biblical theme today, Christmas and the Cross. Well, uh, one of the Christmas songs that connect for us the birth of Jesus Christ and the cross of Jesus Christ even if in indirect ways, is Hark the Herald Angels Sing. It sounds like this. If someone were going to read it instead of sing it, it sounds like this. Christ by highest heaven adored, Christ the everlasting Lord, late in time behold Him come, offspring of a virgin's womb, veiled in flesh the Godhead see, Hail the incarnate deity, mild he lays his glory by, born. So here we have manger, born that purpose, born that men no more may die, born to raise the sons of earth, born to give them second birth. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn king, peace on earth and mercy mild. What's next? God and sinners reconciled. How? A holy God lost sinners. How will He do this? Accomplish this? Achieve this? And of course there are the wonderful texts of Scripture describing the advent of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the, the infleshed deity, the incarnate deity, texts which speak of His purpose in coming. Think of, of, of Matthew chapter 1, that famous text where the angel uh, speaks. Matthew chapter 1, an angel of the Lord appeared to Joseph in a dream saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife. For that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. Why? For he will save his people from their sins. So the reconciling will have something to do with taking care of, saving his people from their sins. But again, how? How will he do this, accomplish this, achieve this? The answer had been pointed to in the Word of God all along. The prophet Isaiah, chapter 53, described there as God's suffering servant, the promised divine deliverer, the Emmanuel of earlier in Isaiah, Listen for the descriptions of his suffering as a substitutionary sacrifice in the place of. 
He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and as one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Yet it was the will of the Lord to crush him. He has put him to grief. Out of the anguish of his soul he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. Isaiah 53. And Paul, the Apostle Paul saw this as a Christian then. And he also saw the prophetic description of the means. God and sinner reconciled sin suffering, substitution. Paul saw the means, the mode in God's Word, in the prophecies. He says so in Galatians 3.13. Paul seeing the cross of Christ in Deuteronomy 21. Quote, Galatians 3.13. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. There it is. So this is why He came. This is what He came to do. We Christians, therefore, don't celebrate and contemplate the coming of Jesus Christ in the manger without a deep connection and awareness to the reason for His coming, which is, of course, the cross. We don't do this because we're morbid or because we're buzzkills, though (laughs) maybe sometimes we are. We do this, though, following the pattern established by our brothers, the apostles, and particularly Paul, who gave the rest of his life and all of himself to proclaim, as he would put it, as we'll read in a second, the word of the cross. 
the word of the cross. Jesus came to save sinners, and they needed to to hear of this salvation. Not just that he came and was born in a manger. That's just the beginning of the beachhead that God establishes in his divine Son, now made flesh. They needed to hear of this salvation and be called to repent and believe in this in this crucified and risen Savior. And so that's what we consider this morning in these days leading up to yet another Christmas when we remember His first coming. Let's pray here, and then I'll read two texts from Paul, like I said, from 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and and from Galatians 6, and then we'll consider together even further then, flesh it out, this theme from Paul, the word of the cross, and for us at Christmas, Christmas and the cross. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word and for showing us how you save sinners, why you save sinners, what it takes to save them, how it is that they can be saved, and what this all means for you and us and for eternity. And even now, at Christmas, what it means that we remember, not just as if turning a blind eye to why He came, which is therefore that we don't just focus on the manger without thinking about why You call us to to know, to remember, and to worship with regard to the why He came. When you said go, and he said yes, and went, and obeyed, why? So help us now to see, to know, uh, to worship, and to even recalibrate if we need to in the hustle and bustle of a Christmas, perhaps not even focusing on the manger, but, but the busyness and the, and the to-dos and the debt and the who knows what. Help us now, Father, to... To worship. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, 1 Corinthians 1 at 18. I'm just going to bump through there. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, 21 to 24, 27 to 31. I just want to read and get this, get this out here for us, and we'll be coming back to them. 1 Corinthians 1, 18, Paul For the word of the cross, there's that phrase, the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Verse 21, for since in the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through human wisdom, it pleased God through the folly of what we preach, the word of the cross, to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and folly to Gentiles, but to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Verse 27 to 31, but God chose what is foolish in the world To shame the wise, God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast 
in the presence of God. And because of Him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification, and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Turn the page, 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 to 5. If you need to turn the page, I should say. 1 Corinthians 2, 1 to 5. And I, when I came to you, brothers, did not come proclaiming to you the testimony of God with lofty speech or human wisdom merely. For I decided to know nothing among you. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. And I was with you in weakness and in fear and much trembling. And my speech and my message were not in plausible words of wisdom, but in demonstration of the Spirit and of power, so that your faith might not rest in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. And now, Paul, Galatians 6.14, one more from Paul, Galatians 6.14, but far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. The holy and inerrant Word of God. Word of the cross, Word of the cross. Preach nothing except Christ and Him crucified. Boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Never once does he mention the manger, interestingly. Three points as we work through this. Number one, focusing on the cross at Christmas. Focusing on the cross at Christmas. Why would you do such a thing, you you meanie pants, downer of a pastor, I don't know, something like that. Can't we just have our manger? Well, yes. But it's important for Christians to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ. Focus, not to the exclusion of the rest of the, of the facts of Christ's coming, but to focus on the cross of Jesus Christ during the time in which our attention usually and rightly is drawn to the manger and the baby Jesus. But it's important that we focus on the cross, and the reason is this. The only reason that we need the manger is because we so desperately need the cross. These are the simple things that we must know and teach and insist upon repeating and repeating and repeating. We only need the manger because we so desperately need the cross. Or we could put it this way, we need the baby Jesus in the quiet manger because of what the adult Jesus would accomplish for us that horrible day on that horrible, violent cross. He would need to grow in wisdom, as Luke would tell us. He would need to grow in wisdom and stature and in favor with God and men, and he would need to live 
a perfect life, the author to the letter to the Hebrews says. He, he would learn obedience. And he would need to achieve a, a perfect righteousness for us under the law. And he would need to die in our place as Isaiah prophesied. He would need to die a substitutionary death for us. That's how he will save his people from their sins as the angel announces that embryonic Savior. It can rightly be said then that Christmas means absolutely nothing if it does not lead to Easter. The manger means nothing if it does not lead to the cross. And in God's infinite and perfect power, sovereignty, and providential working by His original design, never wavering from it, it does so lead. Therefore, in His preaching of the gospel and in His writing to the churches from Galatians through 1 Corinthians, through Romans and beyond, what Paul most wants to point to is the cross of Christ. On first blush, this may seem rather narrow and, and limited, perhaps especially from the vantage point of Christmas and as, as we do it, and mangers and toddler angels and Christmas cookies and, and heartwarming Christmas movies and so forth. You would say of me, but we might say of Paul. Paul, give us a break. Can't we just have a little gentle Christmassy fun without the blood? Without all this talk of suffering and crosses and death? And did I mention the blood? Paul spent a lot of time in Corinth and these other places, and he certainly must have talked about hundreds of other things as he walked people through the fullness of the good news concerning Jesus Christ, including the stories of his birth, he would have known, and the necessity of the Son of God being born as a man. But for Paul, it was important to see, to always major on the point of it all. The reason for Christ's first coming and the culmination of His coming, to see through all of the preceding events to the reason for their having been planned and having happened, just how they were planned to happen, which is Christ crucified. Again, what Paul calls the word of the cross, the word of the cross. He would not stop until he got to the word of the cross. And Christ crucified is more than just the means of forgiveness and salvation or the end of the story. Obviously, he also speaks of the vital importance of the resurrection of Christ from the dead. We think of 1 Corinthians 15 and, and beyond. But rather, the cross informs, the cross informs his total vision of the Christian life and Christian ministry. He looks through the cross 
as a set of lenses again, and it then informs everything else about the good news of Jesus Christ, life in Christ, and really all of existence and reality. And you think, certainly the manger then too, right? Well, yes, of course. And this all is very important for us then too. The second point then for us, Paul's word of the cross in those texts that I read, Paul's word of the cross in, in 1 Corinthians uh, chapters 1 and 2 and Galatians 6, 14. For the word of the cross, he, he leads with there in 1 Corinthians 1, 18. The word of the cross into a troubled church environment. Paul simply resolved to proclaim the gospel, which is to say, to remind them of the truth of the gospel, which importantly he refers to as the word or message of the cross. He points to Christ. He points to Christ. Yes, yes, yes. But he points to Christ crucified, to the cross, to to the death of Christ. And throughout chapters 1 and 2 of 1 Corinthians, Paul, in focusing on the cross of Christ, is focusing in, in focusing on humiliation and suffering, in focusing on how this is all God's doing, Paul points out that one of God's aims in doing it this way is to destroy all possibility of, of human boasting before God. In any case whatsoever, but especially in the matter of salvation. No one can stand in God's sight and attribute his or her conversion or salvation to his or her own wisdom or birth or station or achievement or to anything else. No one could even get within a microscopic measurement of achieving what Jesus achieved on the cross for His people or even get close to contributing to it. No one ever even conceived of doing it. A humble, crucified Savior, divine King, God-man, substitute. Who thought of, who, who would have thought of such a thing? God's suffering servant, His Son. So, from beginning to end, through and through, there's no room for boasting on any grounds or on anything for those who are saved by God's grace alone through faith alone, which is a gift in Christ alone, which is something that's true whether or not you ever existed. He and His work finished. The gospel is, as he writes, the word of the cross. But there's therefore one kind of boasting permitted to Christians and is to be, we would say, natural to them, but what we mean is supernatural to them and is their great joy, 
1 Corinthians 1, 30 and 31 again. And because of Him, Paul writes there again, because of Him, God, you are in Christ Jesus, you Christians, Christ who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, our righteousness, sanctification and redemption, so that, as it is written, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Look what He has done. Look what He has done for me. Spurgeon, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, gets at what this boasting really is. Quote, While others are congratulating themselves, I, have to, I the Christian, have to sit humbly at the foot of the cross and marvel that I'm saved at all. End quote. And so this is how Paul spoke and wrote, how Paul preached, how Paul thought. And we see this further in his earlier letter to the Galatian Christians. I read verse 14 of Galatians 6. Let me add 15 there too. Galatians 6, 14 and 15. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision. All that counts is a new creation that you were made new. And God did that whole thing and purchased that whole thing and enacted that whole thing and initiated that whole thing and promised to bring it to completion, that whole thing. You want to boast? That's all you can boast in. The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, at which point God purchased all of that. And, and the word boast, you know, it just means to glory in, to exalt in, to rejoice because of, to rejoice in. It's a simple expression of praise. Spurgeon, you might have caught, called it marveling, marveling marveling. In this light, then, it is not at all odd to speak of the cross at Christmas. But it seems that in large swaths of evangelicalism these days, the cross is either assumed and so largely then ignored, or redefined in terms less offensive to modern sensibilities, the whole blood thing, remember? We talk about Jesus as our friend and helper. We talk about the healing and purpose He brings to our lives, but we don't talk about uh, much about how He has done all these things for us, where He purchased them, how He purchased them. To do that, we'd have to talk about the reason He came. We'd have to talk about the bloody cross. And less so do we care to speak of the real reason for the season, as it were, that, that the baby came to die. Boy, is that morbid. Jeez, easy. To save his people from their sins, and that would mean a bloody cross and a terrible death. Oh, just, let's just focus on the cute baby. 
But just as was the angel's focus as he spoke to Joseph, so it is the focus of the New Testament authors as they present the coming of Christ, certainly even as they have his birth in their mind's eye as they wrote. Acts 2. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Hebrews Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before Him endured the cross. Peter, he himself bore our sins in his body, he writes of Jesus, on the tree that we might die to sins and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. John writes, in this is love Not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be the propitiation for our sins. The absorption, paying function for our sins. And Paul, we preach Christ crucified. I decided to know nothing among you except Jesus Christ and Him crucified. Here's uh, Piper. I haven't quoted Piper in a long time. Here's John Piper. For, uh, he's uh, riffing on that last bit there. I decided to know nothing among you except Christ and Him crucified. 1 Corinthians 2.2. 2. Here's Piper commenting on that quote. When we embrace with joy the cost of following Christ, His worth will shine in the world. The cost itself will become a means of making Christ look great. The Apostle Paul had one great passion in life. We have seen him say it several ways, to know nothing but Christ and Him crucified, to boast only in the cross. End quote. So Paul doesn't boast in the manger. Not directly. He doesn't glory in it doesn't exalt in it, doesn't focus on it, not directly. He never mentions it. And we aren't called to boast in or exalt in a manger. Paul boasts in the cross. He exalts in the cross, only in the cross. And we are called to boast only in the cross. In that, our boasting or exalting or glorying in or aspergence and marveling at the cross is a worshiping of God for accomplishing all that is necessary for our salvation and accomplishing it for us on the cross through the death of Christ, confirmed by the resurrection. That's why he wrote like he did, Galatians 6 again, far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Or to state it positively, I boast only... I glory only, I marvel only at the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. The third point for today, at Christmas, how do we boast only in the cross at Christmas? How how do we boast only in the cross at Christmas? Well, I... With Paul, I think, we look through the manger. 
Have you trained yourself? Are you trained? I'm sure you are, so many of you. Are you trained by the Scriptures, by Paul, to look through the manger always and to keep our eyes on that cross on which our Savior died. We look through the manger to the cross, but we don't stop lifting our gaze even once it reaches the cross. We don't, we don't stop our gaze once focused on the benefit of forgiveness and redemption accomplished and purchased for us on the cross. These are not the greatest gift of the cross. Mind you, He would need to rise. But even then, the gift of the cross, the great gift of the gospel we learn from Peter is God Himself. This all gets you to God. God and sinner, remember? Reconciled. Peter, 1 Peter 3.18. For Christ also suffered once for sins, the just for the unjust, that He might bring us to God. That was our problem. That's why He came. That's what it means to get saved. He will save His God and sinner. The cross. He purchases it all so that we might be brought to God. Everything purchased for us on that cross by Jesus Christ for all who believe is to pave the way to clear obstacles between us and the greatest gift of all, which is God Himself. So we glory not in a manger. That's not where our main focus is, if, if not at all, but in a cross. And when we are boasting in that cross, marveling at that cross and the Christ who died there, what we are doing is worshiping God for giving us the gift of Himself, for reconciling us to Himself, for saving us through His Son. What does this practically mean this Christmas as we exchange gifts and, and enjoy all the ins and outs of the Christmas season and spend time with family and make phone calls to friends and family and read those wonderful Christmas cards and letters and enjoy all the wonderful food and watch everyone having such a wonderful time and their pictures on Facebook and so forth. The question maybe put more precisely is this, what do you boast in at Christmas? What do you boast in at Christmas? What do you glory in? What do you exult in? What are you marveling at this Christmas? More to the point, what or who are we worshiping this Christmas? Food? Family? Music? Vacation? Presents under the tree? Spending money? Some of you are probably weird like that. So you like to spend money on people. <laughs> That's good. Certain feelings that, 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 that are engendered uh, with the music and the lights and the smells. Just love the season. You can love the season, but is that your focus? Is it something other than the point of it all is what we're asking here. The Savior born to die and rise for sinners. What Paul is saying in Galatians 6.14 and 1 Corinthians 1 and 2 and in other places in various ways is that all of our glorying for Christians, 
all of our rejoicing as people who claim to benefit from the crucified and risen Jesus Christ, all of our exalting, all of our worshiping ought to be an exalting in the cross. Why? Because apart from the death of Christ, sinners get nothing but judgment. The just wrath of God against sin and sinners. Apart from the cross of Christ, there is only condemnation for you and me. And Jesus came, as we know from Mark's gospel, Mark 10, 45, not to be served, but to serve and to give His life as a ransom for many. To do that, the divine Son of God became a human being so that He could suffer and die in our place for His people to pay the ransom, to absorb the wrath of God for us, and thereby through His blood to bring us out from under the holy anger and just condemnation of God to the presence of God, into His forever family. That's the cross. That's the purpose of the cross. And that is the meaning of Christmas. The manger, then, is only a stop. The beachhead, a big, important stop, a beginning of sorts in God's grand plan of redemption. And it is only on the cross that our Lord cried, though. It is finished. This is what makes Christmas good news of great joy for all who believe. So look through the gifts to the greatest gift of the gospel. Boast in the cross, the work of Christ on the cross for you, and only in the cross. No exalting, no boasting, no thanksgiving, except in the cross. This is what Paul is teaching us to do. And anything that we enjoy, we enjoy as his great gifts then. We don't worship them. We don't boast in them. And what is the result of such a way of thinking and feeling? Well, Christ is honored. Christ is exalted. God receives glory. And if we boast only in the cross, then God will receive all the glory. So when you are experiencing all of the blessings of Christmas over these next days, and I hope you will, what will be your treasure? For where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. And, and what we treasure, that we worship that we boast in, that we exalt in. Remember the second half of the Galatians reading I read, the 6, 14, and 15 I'm thinking of. By whom, Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, and I to the world's Christmas. By God's grace, may we be able to say those words with Paul and know what they mean for us and mean them as Christians, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to the world, that the world and the things in it, even as we enjoy them as we ought to, as God's good gifts to us, but even so that they are no longer our ultimate treasure. Don't let any of your exalting or joy terminate on them. We boast only in the cross of our Lord Jesus 
Christ. I take it from Paul. I take it from Paul and God's Word. May it be for you this Christmas as you think of the manger, as you think of the incarnation of the Son of God, as you think of Christmas, as you then think of the gospel and of the cross, that Christ is your joy, that Christ is your satisfaction, that Christ is your treasure. Then at Christmas, you will be boasting and boasting only in the cross. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, and I pray now that you will help us to see what Paul sees by your Spirit, just as he saw, that we are to consider the whole gospel, that's true, the whole plan of redemption as you've revealed it, but that our gaze will always be drawn to the, to the cross and the, and the suffering servant in our place and what he purchased there, which is our redemption. That's why He came. That's why He came. And as we enjoy the good gifts You give us, may we see through them to the great gift, which is You being brought to You by Jesus through His blood, having having purchased it by dying on that tree. Help us to be robust Christians. Christmas. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.